just want to start today with a scripture of something that the Lord put on my heart recently. And uh, I started working on this sermon, started studying his word and started building this sermon. And then uh, he started confirming it time and time and time again. So I just want to read a verse to you. It's in the book of Matthew. You can also find this, uh, this verse in Luke. It's in the book of Matthew chapter 24 and beginning in verse 37. Matthew 24 verse 37. It says, when the Son of Man returns. Everybody say that out loud. When the Son of Man returns. When Jesus returns, it says it will be like it was in Noah's day. I want you to say that out loud. Noah's day. When Jesus returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. When the Bible states something the Bible will come to pass. When the Bible says something, it said that Jesus was coming. It said there was a Messiah coming. There was a Messiah coming. There was a Messiah coming. And then he came. And the world, percentage-wise, missed him. Some found him, didn't they? Some got a miracle from him. Some found eternal life by him. Some even followed him until their own deaths. But many missed him, didn't they? Because they weren't looking for him. They weren't looking for him. And Jesus was, he was so shocked. He didn't talk like this with the people in the street, but with the people in the, in the synagogues, those that were schooled in the word, those that at least from his perspective, from Jesus' perspective that they should have known. Many times they'd be asking him questions and they were confused and he would say, you don't know the answer to this question. You should know that answer. You should know. And I believe that the Lord is speaking the same word to us today. It's so easy to miss him if we're not looking for him. We could so easily miss Jesus if we're not looking for him. The Bible says, verse 39, verse 38 rather. It says, in those days before the flood. So what's that say? Before the flood. The flood was not a children's story. <laughs> it is not just a children's story. It was real. You can choose to believe the word or not. But it says that there were days before the flood. There was a time before the flood, and then there was the flood. Come on. There was before the flood, and then there was a flood. And it says the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered the boat. People were just living life. The Bible says that Jesus would return in the same way. It'll look just like it was in Noah's day. And it says that in Noah's day, people were just living, enjoying this life. But it says, verse 39 people didn't realize what was going to happen. 
They didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came. They didn't realize until the flood came. Now, it's been taught that Noah preached. The word is not clear on whether they did make fun of him or not, but seeing a guy build this big giant thing on dry ground, they probably did. That is the children's story, but that's okay. I can, I'm okay with that poetic license. They probably did make fun of him. And then he probably told them what he was doing. But the Bible says that that is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. What are you guys doing with that Jesus? It's the world. What are you doing with that Jesus? Oh, well, Jesus offered me eternal life. Jesus offered to wash my sins away. Well, I don't believe in eternal life. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in sin. God gives us that choice, doesn't he? He gave us that choice, and I thank God that we have chosen rightly. We have chosen the right path. The Bible has actually a lot to say about Noah. He's actually mentioned in a lot of the books. His story is relatively short, but he's mentioned throughout the Bible, all the way through. And that tells me this is a guy to pay attention to. When he's mentioned by Jesus, he's mentioned by Peter. And it says, verse 42, so you too. Everybody say, so me too. (laughs) Me too. I must. Come on, I must. Keep watch. If Jesus told us to keep watch, I'm going to listen to Jesus. The Bible says actually over in Peter that eventually people would begin to scoff. (laughs) They'd begin to say, that was 2,000 years ago. They've been saying that forever. The Bible literally prophesies what you're actually hearing. Who's heard that? Who has heard that, you ready? Not from the world, from your brothers and sisters in the faith. Who's afraid to raise your hand right now? Who has heard a brother or sister say, ah, they've been prophesying the end for a long time. Every generation thinks it's the end. What a horrible thing for us to say. If Jesus told me to keep watch, is that my job to decide when? He's coming, or to, to say how long are you taking, how long has it been, how long should it be. He just told us, his church, to keep watch. That means that we live and we die. We were just being obedient, keeping watch. And you know that there's such a safety. First of all, the Bible tells us two things. First of all, there's a safety in watching because if you are throwing a party and your parents are away for the weekend. (laughs) On Saturday, you're golden, but Sunday night, you better start getting things cleaned up because you know when they're coming home. But actually, your mom got sick because she ate some seafood on Saturday, and she's actually coming home early. She didn't need to call you. It's her house. She shows up during the party. 
it's safe for us to keep watch. Jesus told us on purpose, you won't know the day or the hour. On purpose, as a safety, because we are human and we tend to lax off until we need to be diligent. Procrastination. It's one thing to procrastinate about a report that's due, right? Procrastinate about a, a job assignment. It's another thing to procrastinate about God's stuff. I'll just paraphrase it like that. There's a, that's a big category, our faith. It's silly to even compare the two. But first of all, there's a safety in keeping watch. And secondly, the Bible says that God is actually not delaying. The Bible actually says that God is patient. They said, when? And then he said, wait, hold on a second. Don't, don't <laughs> you don't want him to come back today. Are you ready? Are you ready? Is, your fam is all your family ready? Are your neighbors ready? Is your, are your coworkers ready? Are they all saved? I, who, I mean, who's looking for his coming like I am? Who's ready for Jesus, ready for eternity? I want eternity, but I feel like Paul also that he's like, I want to go, but I also feel compelled to stay because there's more for me to do here. There's, there's more people to be reached. But Jesus is actually being patient. God, the Father, is looking at, on us with patience, giving us time to be saved. That's what the Bible says. So while the world and even some of the church is scoffing, God is letting them scoff. This is the amazing grace of God. Isn't God wonderful? You know that Jesus loves you. I promised I would say this every week. Jesus loves you. It's a simple gospel. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. He loves you so much that he took the time to say these words to you. These are his words reminding us. He loves you and his grace is letting us come to the conclusions. Who's come to some conclusions so far? And know, who knows that there's more conclusions to come to? <laughs> letting God be God. I've got a few more, but I'm so thankful. I was just, just talking with someone in private saying, you know, the Lord's really took the fine-tooth comb out recently. Who knows what I'm talking about? God's taken the fine-tooth comb to my heart, which I love. I love, like David said, David said, I love your discipline, Lord. You end up craving God's discipline because it's making you better. It's not the punishment and the pain that you're looking for, but as he disciplines you, as he points out those things in you and you give it to him, it makes you better. You have life. There's more life. He's getting the junk out of you. It's like lice that he's using that comb for. That's what it is. I mean, let's just be blunt. The things in us, it's, it's yucky. It's yucky. <laughs> and he's combing through and getting rid of those things. Jesus said, you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Don't be the Christian that says we've got time. Don't be that Christian because that's not biblical. Maybe you've heard it, you've been taught it. That's not the Bible though. 
Listen, I, you guys know me now, and I have decided to be a Bible preacher. I know that that's crazy, how ironic to have to tell you that. But some have abandoned the Bible, and I mean, we just don't have time, but everything inside the Bible talks about, I mean, I'm just, I'm starting to see clearer than ever that everything is in the Word. The Bible tells us that that they would start abandoning it and start twisting and changing and creating new doctrines. And then to support the doctrine, they'll find teachers to teach it. That's what the Bible tells us. But the Bible says, verse 43, understand this. If a homeowner, everybody raise your hand and say, I'm a homeowner. He's talking to you. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also, verse 44, must be ready all the time. That's biblical. That's biblical. You say, oh, well, why, you know, Revelation's at the end of the Bible. Got the whole Bible to worry about. Why are you focusing on one book? I'm not. I'm looking at Matthew here. Everybody puts the end times in Revelation. <laughs> Jesus is talking about it right here. Why would he? He's just about to finish things up on the earth. And why would he spend so much? He actually spends two chapters talking about this, Matthew 24, 25. Who's, who loves Matthew 24, 25? Some pretty serious, serious themes in those two chapters. And I love them because he's talking to the church, talking to believers, and showing us some very um, uh, sharp and serious things to remain faithful to the end. Because Jesus said, he who endures to the end will be saved. Why would he tell us that if you endure to the end, you'll be saved if there wasn't the temptation to not endure? If it was instantaneous, if it was automatic, then he would just say, when you're saved, you're saved. But he told us, he who endures to the end. Did he say, I'll endure for you to the end? He will. I'm not denying the fact that as I've been preaching, he said, I will not abandon you. I will not leave you as orphans. The Holy Spirit, Romans 8, I will help you in your weaknesses. So the Lord is with us. You can't do it without him. Everything that you're doing in the Lord should be for the Lord and with the Lord's strength. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. So it's him. But he said, he who endures, talking of you, there's an endurance in you. There's the Lord who's faithful. He said, I'll, you endure, I'll endure. You step, I'm going to step. Period. He's never going to leave us, but we must be a people of endurance. Come on, say that out loud. I must endure. What do we have to endure? It's not a trick question. Everything and anything. That's right. As a good soldier. He said a good soldier doesn't entangle themselves in the things of this world. You must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when you least expect Him. He already warned us that He's going to come when we least expect Him. So then I want to be the most expectant all the time because regardless, regardless, it's going to surprise me 
So let me be as sharp as I possibly can so that when I'm surprised, it says that, says that you will not be ashamed before him. I'm thinking of a few verses at once, but I won't be ashamed. I'm not going to be ashamed. I might be surprised in the flesh, but my spirit is ready. Come on, we want our spirits ready. Well, we got to stop fooling around, church. I was just a few of us here today, but we got to stop just playing, fooling around, kind of like living in the world, living in the church, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of the world. Let me just talk to myself. That's how I am, all right? Uh, If maybe none of you are feeling that, but I just feel the seriousness of the Lord just, you know, and, and the thing is, I still, I love my family and we can do family things and we can do enjoyable things and you can have a hobby, but it's just none of those things, things compare to eternity and to knowing Jesus. See, the world is carefree. They're living life. They don't understand the seriousness of the times and they don't realize that their lives are ticking away to a conclusion that is much greater than just an end of one thing and the beginning of the next. Don't envy the world. Don't envy their achievements, their wealth, their parties. It's a facade. You're building away. I believe the Lord wants to say a few things today, and, and, and I'll just kind of make some of the points as the, as the Holy Spirit points them out. Be ready, be watchful, but also this. While you are being diligent for the Lord, just get your mind, just get it settled now. It's not going to make sense to the world. And to be brutally honest, it's not going to make sense to your flesh. Jesus has never returned again, has he? We don't even know what that's going to look like. We have some, some things to, to show us to be ready and to be expectant. But all that Noah could do, and I want to look at his story All that he could do was just be obedient to what God said. But when God said, I'm going to flood this earth, it's going to rain. What does that even look like? Because he had never seen it before. Means you have to do blind obedience. What we do as human beings is we'll obey once it makes sense. Explain it to me first, and then I'll listen to you. Explain it to me. I need to understand it. And what you need to get in your head is you will not understand it. When it's real obedience, you ready for this? You don't need to understand it. You don't need to. Do you trust God or not? It's actually pride and rebellion. I know that's sharp, but it's actually rebellion to have, to have God explain it first. Because what you're telling God, why it's prideful is that even though you made everything I can see. You made the expanse of space. You made this earth. And I'm smaller than an ant on the scale of the universe. I'm not even measurable under a mic. The the most powerful microscope, if you were to look from the furthest planet that we could find now, would never find you. And we need to understand God first before we can listen to him. (laughs) I think when God says something, he knows what he's talking about. God knows what he's talking about. And we go, oh, we do this thing. We justify everything. It's not so bad. Yeah, but that was this. That was cultural. (laughs) That was that. God, you know, God, God doesn't understand 
I was just joking. It was a joke. It was a joke. It was a joke. So that no one takes me the wrong way. I was talking to Dawn and I said, I don't think when Jesus told us to be patient and to love, love our neighbor as ourselves, that he didn't, the thing is, he was never in traffic yet. <laughs> he didn't understand yet because that hadn't happened yet. <laughs> God was looking at the end of time from the beginning of time. That means that everything he wrote applied then and now. Culture can change. Your language can change. Your clothes can change. He doesn't change and neither does his word. Let's look at Noah. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6 and just read his story. It's, uh, I just want to pick out a few pieces from it. It says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. How are we doing all right? Everybody all right? It says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. The Bible says that the same exact way when Jesus comes, he said, the days of Noah are like the days of Christ. Come on. The days of Noah are the days of Christ. So the Lord... You know the Lord, let me just say it one more time. Jesus loves you. And he loves the sinner. I, he loves the sinner so much that before the sinner was even born, 2,000 years before any sinner that was including us was, past tense, because we gave it to him, we repented of our sins. That's the foundation of coming to Christ, is repentance of sins and washing away of your old, becoming new in him, right? A new creation in Christ. But for every sinner, including who we used to be, Jesus loved us so much that before you were even born, he died for you. His love is so great. So when the Lord says hard things and when he says sharp things, and the Lord also has uh, lots and lots of words of judgment in his word. I mean, there's no lack of love in it. Before he even wrote the judgment, love was already being prepared. Come on, right? Amen. I don't hear a lot of amens out there. It says that the Lord observed the wickedness on the earth, just as the Lord is looking now. The Lord sees it. There's nothing he doesn't see. There's nothing he doesn't see. He's being patient for our sake. He's being patient so that people can repent of the wickedness and come to him. And it says he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Everything they thought and imagined. I mean, that's not hard to find. The more you've gotten saved and the closer you get to Christ, the clearer. Who's got some clearer vision today than you used to have? You should, as a believer. That's not pride. Your eyes just begin to open more and more. And when you look at the world, who's shocked who is shocked? I mean, I shouldn't be surprised, but like when something dark happens around my life, you know, someone does something or says something, I have pretty tough skin, so in some respects, I'm like, well, I expected it, but then sometimes I just can't help but be surprised. I'm just shocked at how dark and how wicked the world is sometimes. We shouldn't be. It's been that way since the beginning. It's nothing new. But there was an increase of it like it was in the days of Noah. 
It was always wicked. It was always dark. It was always stubborn against God, but there's an increase of it. So it says the Lord was sorry he had ever made them. He was sorry he even created human beings and put them on the earth. It says that he broke his heart. It broke, if you look at this, it says he broke, it broke his heart. In, Matthew, in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, you don't have to turn there, but it says that Jesus had looked around at a crowd and he was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Jesus was grieved by the hard hearts of those around him. But in Genesis 6, verse 7, it says, And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth, yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry that I ever even made them. But it says something amazing here in verse 8. It says, everybody say, but I, but I found favor with the Lord. That's the only thing. It's the grace and the favor of the Lord that covers you. It says that Noah found grace in the New King James. He found grace and favor, a very similar word. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And this is why, verse 9, it says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. Why did he find grace and favor? Because he was a righteous man. He said it was the, this is hard to believe, but it, it's, it seems like, uh, <laughs> it seems like we're getting there. Man, it seems like we're getting close again. He was the only blameless person living on the earth at the time. He was the only blameless person living on the earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was righteous and he walked with God and because of the relationship that he had with God, he had grace and favor over his life. There is, this is a simple gospel. Jesus paid a price for you. He shed his blood for you and you have to accept it. You have to believe in it. You have to obey him. But then it's yours, and it was free. It's like, it's not costing you anything, but it's like a present all wrapped up in front of you, and you can hold it in your hands, and you can do cartwheels with it and spin it around and love Jesus, but until you open it and receive what's in it, you're just holding the box. A lot of people are holding the box called Jesus, but Jesus, when it's truly opened, when you truly receive him, he comes in you and he changes you from the inside out, begins to change the way you think, begins to change the way you speak. And Noah was walking with God like this. He was walking with God. He had a relationship with God. In fact, the Bible tells us of another man that walked with God. His name was Enoch. We don't really know anything about this guy. The Bible says that he walked with God. God loved him so much. The relationship was so tight that, bam, he never even, he didn't even have to die. He just goes to heaven. Let's just skip death for you, best friend. Hey, best friend, 
We don't even have to worry about death. You know what? Let's just come up here now. Isn't that incredible? We want to walk with God. You were given the ability to walk with God. In fact, what does it say in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve did? They walked with God. Jesus restored, he broke the curse, the separation from God, and gave us a relationship back. Now, if you choose to not walk with God, does that change his love for you? Absolutely not. If you don't walk with him, he will walk alongside you and just keep whispering to you your whole life how much he loves you. But if we walk with him, then we get to experience his grace and his favor and his protection, his love, his mercy. In the New King James, it says Noah was perfect. In this word perfect, it literally means he was without blemish. He was complete. He was full. He was without spot. He was undefiled. He had integrity, truth, sound, upright, and whole. That's what that word means for perfect. Perfect, blameless. Now, I'm just going to choose to believe the Bible because that's what it says about him. But I wonder if he still had flaws because he was human, but because of his relationship with God, it was like a, a pre-Christ, Christ relationship. There's just a few. We can only see a few encounters where somebody walked with God so close that they entered into that place that Jesus gave us. Where even there was probably still flaws in him. We know that because after he, he, he comes out of the ark and he's drunk. And yet it says he was blameless. Right? Hey, I'm just preaching the word. Anybody here? <laughs> But I think it's because he had such a relationship with God that it wasn't, it wasn't his, you can't look at that and go see, well, that gives us license because now we can do it. It means like he was walking with God and, and even mistakes, even, even wrong turns, because that, that kind of creates a, an interesting situation. That, that's another Bible study. But even those things, he was walking in the grace of God. He was walking with God, which covered him, kept him whole and kept him perfect believe he was walking in a place where God would speak to him and he was obedient. And we know that because I don't have to assume that. Let's just look what it says. It says, it says so God said to Noah, verse 13, I've decided to destroy all living creatures and I'm going to wipe them out. Verse 14, you can pull it up in the New King James. Verse 14, it says, make yourself an ark. God tells Noah, make an ark. Make an ark, Noah. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And then construct it. And he says in verse 17, I'm going to destroy. He tells him what he's going to do. You know that, God, that those who walk with God, God tells them the secrets. You know, if you walk with God, who's, been, who's a believer like this? And you talk to other believers, you'd be like, this is what I've been thinking. And then I started seeing it happening in the news. And then in the news. I started thinking it and then I started, then I listened to it on the radio and then I was talking to another believer and they were saying the same thing. It's because the Lord starts, he will reveal. In fact, the Bible says that God does nothing 
This is amazing. God doesn't do anything without first telling his prophets. So he tells them, look, this is what I'm about to do. And I believe that's what the Lord's saying to us. Listen, my church, if you're listening, the Lord's been speaking it clearly for a long time. It's not a new thing, but I believe it's a timely thing now. The Lord's been saying this for a long, 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 long time. But listen, things are wrapping up. It's the 11th hour of the 11th hour. And as I've always said, just to cover us, at the very least... Even if Jesus comes back in 2,000 more years, whose life has hit the pause button? Anybody? <laughs> My life hasn't. We still, we are all in here, still got plenty of years, but I'm looking going, okay, well, how did I get from there to here so far? 14-year-old son. Just a blip of time. So regardless... There's a flood coming. There's an end coming in, in my life, in our lives. There's an end coming. I don't have unlimited time. There's an end coming. And I need to prepare for that end. He said, I will confirm my covenant with you. And I thought this was incredible. I actually did some research here in verse 15. He says, I will confirm my covenant with you. Actually, it's in verse... 18, I will confirm my covenant with you. This covenant is actually, but I will establish my covenant with you, is this word is a pact, an agreement, a joining together of friends. Of friends. It's not just, okay, I agree, you and I, we both agree. We don't like each other, but we agree on this. This was a friendship agreement. This is when you walk with someone. When there's a fellowship, there's a relationship. See, Jesus is not asking us to do anything that the greats, as you go through the word, did. As you start, why do these guys' names get written down? Some people are nameless and some people are named. Why are they named in the Old Testament? And they're the people that walked. They either really didn't walk with them and God's showing us to warn us, or they walked with him. Like David, Jesus, I mean, the Bible can't stop talking about the guy because he walked with God. He had this place with God. That was a friendship. God would show him things and speak to him, and he was repentant when he made a mistake. That's the difference. Saul lost the kingdom, but David would repent. Wow, it's so quiet in here. Is this making any sense? Verse 22, how do I know that Noah was covered in grace? How do I know that he found grace and favor, that he was blameless? Blameless doesn't mean that you never made a mistake. It means that you were willing, come on, everybody say that out loud, willing to listen. What does it say he did? It says Noah did according to all that God commanded him. You just stay obedient to God. Now, we just don't have time. I'll continue preaching this again. But just consider this for a moment. God tells him, I'm going to flood the earth. And I want you to build this large boat, this 450 foot long boat, <laughs> 75 feet wide, 
boat, and it's going to take you roughly somewhere between 60 to 100 years to build. And that's all you're going to do every day, all day. And I know that you've never seen rain before, but you're just going to have to choose to believe me. Do we ever realize the impact of this story? But then Jesus says that it was just like Noah's day. See, there's two sides. One, there's the wickedness, but then there's also the church. And it may seem like, and this is what I want you to leave with. It may seem like you are wasting your time just building away building away because you don't have the evidence yet who's got the I mean we do have evidence because you have friendship and fellowship that nobody you don't need evidence for that and that's why Noah did it who is who keeps going with Christ just because of his relationship but who has seen eternal evidence has God uh, brought some additions from your eternal house down to earth yet anybody anybody seen streets of gold in your driveway then why do we believe it? We believe it because we've entered into a friendship covenant relationship with God, and that is the key. And you do that, then there's favor and grace on you, and you will be obedient, and you will listen to everything He tells you to do because of that relationship. It says in verse 1 of chapter 7, when everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, go into the boat with all your family. For among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. And seven days from now, verse 4, I will make the rains pour down on the earth and it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights until I have wiped from the earth all the living things I have created. So Noah did everything as the Lord commanded him. When Noah was 600 years old, on the 17th day of the second month, the underground waters erupted from the earth and the rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky and the rain continued to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. Verse 13, that very day, Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his sons and a male and female of each animal, just as God had commanded him. In verse 17, it says the floodwaters grew deeper and it says that the waters rose higher, verse 18, above the ground, and the boat floated safely on the surface. Noah listened. The flood came just like God said it would. And I mean, I, I can't wait to preach some more about this. There's so much in this. Time has escaped me so quickly. <laughs> Are we all right, guys? But I won't keep going. It would be way too much. I want you to look at, at one verse, one last. It's in the book of Second Peter, chapter 3. And I need to go and find it. Because this is the Holy Spirit. Second Peter. Come on, who loves the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Dictating your sermon. Dictating your life. This has been on my heart all week, and I was looking at it as a sideline thing. You know, I'm got my sermon ready and I've got my own thing. The Lord's speaking to me and it kept getting weaved in and out this week. So I'm going to read it to you. And I think this will help close it all together for this week. He says a lot here in chapter three. You could read this chapter for weeks on end. There's so much to it, but Verse 1, I'll just read a couple of points. I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember some things. 
he says. This is, this is Peter's second book. So he's telling them uh, some things that he has told them before. It's his second book. So he's reminding them. Who needs to be reminded? Who, who knows it's been 2,000 years? We need to be reminded. If anybody needs to be reminded, who needs uh, the 2,000th book? <laughs> it's us. But it would say the same thing. It actually would say it with really, 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 really strong language. I mean, if there was ever a time to be stimulated and to remember, it's now. I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago. So the prophets of old and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Old Testament and New Testament. Come on, everybody say the old and the new. I want you to remember what was written and what was said. And he said, verse 3, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming from before the times of our ancestors? Everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They will deliberately, it says, verse 5, they deliberately forget God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. It says they deliberately forget that God spoke. He saw, the Bible says you go to Genesis 1, and he saw the emptiness, the void of our earth, and he spoke life and drew the earth, it says, out of the waters. What a special, amazing, incredible thing that we need to remember. It says they forget this. And what do they forget? There's more to it that they forget that we're not going to forget. Come on, I'm not going to forget. We're not forgetting what God's told us, what he warned us about. Verse 6, it says, Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world. What do they forget? God loved, he saw the void and he created, but he also destroyed. They choose to forget. They deliberately forget because we don't want to think about these things. Come on, the majority of people, they don't want to hear. <laughs> they don't want to hear these things. Most Christians don't want to hear these things. <laughs> Just tell me about the love of Jesus. I am. He loves you so much that he doesn't want you to be surprised when he does it again. What do you mean he does it again? He only did it once. Verse 7. It says, and by the same word, the present heavens. What's that say? Where, where are the present heavens? The ones you see right now. Where's the present earth? The one you're living in right now. It's been stored up for fire. Wow, preacher. This is, this is too much for me today. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But it says that people would deliberately forget this. People would deliberately, our time would come where scoffers would say, we've heard it, I've heard it all, and they would choose to forget. It says, verse 8, but you, but I, right, will not forget this one thing, dear friends. <laughs> a day is like a thousand years of the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Verse 9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. Some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Amazing. How amazing. And I don't have time, but it goes on and says, verse 10, that the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And then it says, then, just like the flood, just like Noah's day, 
Jesus warned us. Second Peter, he said, listen, it was prophesied in the Old Testament. The apostles wrote about it. What did the apostles write? Well, the apostles, they penned down the book of Matthew, for instance, remembering Jesus's words. So now Peter's saying, you need to remember what he wrote that Jesus said that was prophesied of old. The heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, come on, and this is, this is where I want to camp and just close with this. Since, everybody say since. Since the word is true. Since, it always, since everything that God says happens. Since it's been a long, long time since he died and said he was coming again. He's probably coming pretty soon. And even if he doesn't, my life is ticking. Since all of that, And since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. What holy and godly lives you should live. And you could go on. I'd like you to go home. You got your homework for this week. Go home and finish 2 Peter 3. There's so much in it. We don't have time. I don't want to keep you. So let's stand and let's pray. Thank you, Lord God. We thank you, God, for your heart is so passionate for us. I thank you, Lord, that you love us so much. I thank you that your word is true. Your word is life. Lord, I thank you that even just speaking it and reading it and, Lord, and soaking in it, that we're coming to life in this church that we're coming to life, Lord, as the words are entering, Lord, they're coming out of a supernatural place into a natural being, and, and this natural being is coming to life. We thank you, God. And I pray, Lord, that every single thought that's not pleasing to you, every single intention in us, Lord, that's not pleasing to you, every bit of stubbornness, Lord, and, and Lord, unwillingness to be obedient in us, I pray that the Spirit of God would shine the brightest light on those areas, Lord, and remove them from us in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Amen, amen, amen.